In this episode, I need to start with a disclaimer. There is a trigger warning that needs to be observed by people who have either experienced uh, ritualistic abuse, experienced trafficking, or experienced any type of mind control in their past. If this is something that you have experienced, either don't listen to this episode or listen to it with a friend or listen to it in sound bites. I just want you to be aware um, that if you have ever experienced any of the things that I'm going to be talking about, you will be triggered. I promise. I will also tell you to the other listeners here that this is not going to be one of my more pleasant uh, podcasts because I am talking about something that nobody likes to talk about. Nobody likes to hear about. Nobody likes to even acknowledge is happening. However, it is happening. It has been happening for a very long time. And it is something that we definitely need to look at. Now, back when I was getting my degree in Oklahoma, it was my bachelor's degree. It was at the time in the early 90s when we had the Oklahoma City bombing by Timothy McVeigh. Now, this was a big terrorist act on U.S. soil. It wasn't our first, but it was a very big one. And the local media wanted to make it really, really important So a lot of the times, because they didn't have any new information, they would just do a screenshot of the bombed out building with no commentary on it whatsoever. And that was running on five stations 24-7 until they came with, oh, we've got no new information. We're just letting you know. And so by the time this was all played out, Everyone was tired of it, and nobody wanted to hear about it anymore. Ah, do you think that that might have played into the terrorist game? I think so, because the terrorists were watching. They were watching how we reacted. They were watching how we reported it. They were watching how we dealt with it, how we investigated it, how we were acting about it and around it, and then how we went back to our normal activities and how long it took us to completely ignore and forget about what had actually happened. They do this because they were getting ready for a bigger attack on U.S. soil. They were getting ready for another terrorist activity. Now, here's what we have learned from people who do criminal activity, who do evil things, who are vile people, is that they take their experiences and they watch how good, healthy people respond and react, and then they tweak it so that they can do more damage, so that they can get away with more, so that their criminal activity is not recognized or noticed. They do this. And the traffickers, they do this also. So I have told you in the past that words have power. Words have lots of power. And If I came to you and said, we're going to be talking about mind control and satanic ritualistic abuse, 
how many people, you know, you don't have to raise your hands because obviously I can't see you, but how many people just shut down on me? I'm going to say a large majority because it's, oh, come on, Mandy. There is no such thing as mind control and satanic ritualistic abuse. I mean, how do those things even come about? They would have to experiment on people in order to do it. <laughs> yes, they would. And they have. And they have throughout history. And they wait to see how much they can get away with. And then the next time, they do just a little bit more. Do you really think that the experiments that Joseph Mengele during World War II and the Holocaust when he was at Auschwitz-Birkenau, that those were on accident? That he just tripped into those? No. He had been researching before what had been studied before. And he wanted to do more research. And he had an unending supply of human subjects that he could do anything he wanted to and never be punished for it. Now, you have to understand that Joseph Mengele is not the only person in history who has done this. So what we have is the criminals, the evil, the vile people of history of the world have gone around doing exactly what we, as law-abiding, normal, compassionate human beings, claim we would never do, so it would never happen. Just because we would never do it doesn't mean it won't happen. It means it's happening and we're ignoring it. So when I was talking about these tribes in Africa and how they would sell their own people and how they would put their own people into slavery and do trafficking, they just called it slavery, uh, I didn't tell you about the ritualistic abuse that they would met out on their own people. Way back when, what they would do is they would circumcise young women children, actually. And what this would do, I'm not going to get very graphic about it, but what it would do is it would remove the pleasure sensation for these girls. So anybody could go and have all the sex and pay all attention to that area of their little bodies, and it would not create any pleasure sensation so they could do it all day long. Now, it didn't take away all sensation. There was pain involved. So what it was doing is it would remove the part of that body, that body part that produced pleasure, and it would just leave pain in its place. So these young girls from the ages of it, the earliest one I read about was age five. Um, so from age five to however long uh, into adulthood it would continue, we're in pain all day long, all the time, but could receive no pleasure, no sexual gratification for the acts that were being performed on them. Now, that might seem like they were being humane to them, 
to take away the sexual gratification so that they didn't have to worry about their participation in that part. However, if you think about how often these trafficked victims get used in sexual ways and you replace the gratification for pain, you see that it was a form of torture. I have shared this information with you before that many years ago, Johns Hopkins decided to do a research study to find out what kind of abuse was the hardest to heal from. And they came up with emotional abuse. Now, what does that have to do with ritualistic abuse? Because you look at the fact that these people, these traffickers, they use mind control more than anything else. So when you're talking about how mind control and emotional abuse go together, what you're talking about is how the terrorists watched and then reconfigured and changed it up so that they had a more effective way of attacking us. What you're seeing here is that people who were in trafficking, who were selling other people, who were using other people in these ways, were watching and they were saying, you know what, this mind control, it's working okay, but in the beginning they had to do it with drugs and they couldn't always get the people to take the right kind of drugs. And they had to do it in a very specific way. They had to use the right words. They had to use the right drugs. They had to use the right environment. They had to have the right kind of malleable brain that was willing to go along with it. So you had to have all of these very, very specific factors in place in order to be successful with mind control. Now, you can say, well, but they managed to mess up these minds. Well, okay, but that's not mind control. If you want to talk about being able to scramble a mind and hurt a mind, I mean, we can talk about lobotomy for that matter. And you can see that absolutely, that's going to mess up a mind. But if you want somebody to not just be willing to put themselves in that situation to be sexually used over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But you also want them to go and get more people and you want them to help train those people and then you want them to be able to handle those people. You can't have a lobotomy. It doesn't work because you've got to have these people thinking. You just have to have them agreeing with you. So, the traffickers had to come up with a way to make this mind control work in their favor. Let's talk about, for a minute, the movement of the progression of drugs used. All right. So they started with psychedelics, the LSDs, the PCPs. But what they found with these is that, yeah, the mind control, again, worked but they couldn't control flashbacks. They couldn't control how the drugs would actually affect the brain. I mean, we have research that shows that people who did PCP once 
uh, years later would have a huge PCP flashback and would go and think that they were flying and end up killing themselves. So PCP and LSD, these psychedelic psychotropics also, uh, were not working the way that they specifically wanted them to work. It was giving them mind control, but not really. So they had to kind of recalibrate that and they started looking at alcohol. Well, what can alcohol do? Alcohol stunts the growth of the prefrontal cortex, which is the CEO of the brain. It's where we make our choices. It's where we understand the consequences of our actions. It's where our, all of those um, upper memory techniques develop. So what you've got in that part of your brain is they put the alcohol there and it stunts your decision-making ability. It also has you follow sometimes. So once again, you have the brain sort of doing what you want it to do, but not in the smartest way. Um, it also will kill other parts of your brain. It's not just specific to that frontal cortex part. And so parts of reasoning, parts of impulse control, parts of affect, uh, which is emotional uh, outlook, those parts were also being affected. This is where you start getting these kind of outcasts of society in the drunkards. It's also they don't want to wake up from their drunken stupor because they don't like the hangover feeling, right? So what you're getting here is it was working a little bit better than the psychedelics and psychotropics, but not enough that it was giving them what they wanted. It was also very hard to come by the right alcohol for the right brain. Now, uh, it's illegal in most places to give a minor alcohol. So if you had a lot of young kids in your foster home and you were found giving them alcohol because alcohol shows up, you know, you're inebriated, you're not making right decisions, you your affect is way off, we can smell it on your breath, it's really, really easy to tell if somebody is drunk and stupid. So that was kind of backfiring for the traffickers, the ritualistic abusers. So I've told you how all of these different drugs, and um, I'm going to tell you that they tried it without the drugs, uh, didn't really work as well as they wanted it to. Enter in pot. Marijuana. Marijuana doesn't damage the brain as much as other drugs do. Now, there are parts of marijuana that actually are medically helpful. Uh, I'm not going to get into a political debate or discussion on medical marijuana, but what I'm going to tell you is that what these abusers and traffickers started realizing is that 
teenagers thought that they were so smart when they were stoned. And they thought that they were so grown up and so mature. And it was working really, really well. So all they had to do was get a bunch of teenagers smoking joints around a campfire, philosophizing about life. You get a couple of adults in there who aren't really partaking in the drugs, and they're just inserting a thought here and a thought there. And the teenager grabs hold of it and goes, oh, yeah, man. Oh, that makes so much sense. I mean, in my existential crisis, I can see where that would help me. <laughs> you think that's not what they talk like? <laughs> Go join one of the drum circles at your local park. That is exactly how they sound. And the adults know exactly where to plug in this piece of information and this piece of information and this piece of information. Now, I've got a lot of stoners, potheads, whatever you want to call them nowadays, who have tried to tell me, Mandy, I am the best when I am high. And I'm like, oh, are you? I had one who informed me that that's how he drove the absolute best. He could drive in any situation and be the best driver on the road as long as he was high. And he had everybody that he was driving around agreeing with him because they were all high also. But uh, I got a couple of his friends to drive with him when he wasn't, when they weren't high, but he was. And they came back and they're like, Mandy, he is the worst driver in the world. I said, yeah, I'm aware. But you could not convince him otherwise. So as long as you stick those messages in when they are stoned high, you have got some amazing brainwashing going on. Now, ultimately, that's what mind control is. It is convincing somebody that the truth is what you want them to believe it is. We call it brainwashing. We call it mind control. We call it um, ritualistic abuse. We call it all of these things. But if we called it what it was, it would take the mystery, it would take the dark skepticism out of it. It would take the, oh, dude, no, I'm just, uh, you know, flying high and uh, being stupid out of it. What brainwashing, what mind control inevitably is, is truth changing, reality changing. It changes the thought process. That's what it's doing, is it's making somebody believe something that isn't true. You can tell me, all right, but teenagers think lots of different things about everything, and everybody's been doing pot marijuana since the 50s, 60s. I know they have. What I'm saying is that this is how the traffickers have figured out to do this mind control. They have fine-tuned it, honed it in, and made it very effective. This is what I'm saying. Now, if you think it only happens to teenagers, adults, think again. 
I had a family where the oldest brother was a pedophile and he was being coerced into abusing his younger siblings by his older sister, who was a pedophile. She actually was probably looking at starting her own little cult trafficking situation because she was um, she was grooming each one of her siblings to make sure that they would abuse and do whatever she wanted them to do. Now, there was a six-year-old girl in this family, and I was talking to this six-year-old, and she hated her face. Now, I can tell when they make young children uh, do things with their mouth, I'm sorry, I, I know that sounds awful, but that's what happens. So I can tell because of how these little kids present with their mouths. They hate them. They do everything in their power to try and hide the fact that they have a mouth. They don't want you to see it. Uh, it's, it's really very sad and interesting <laughs> at the same time because you're watching a kid be afraid to speak in public or to say something and they're always covering up their lips and when you ask them to draw a picture they won't draw a mouth on the picture they'll draw a line or they will just leave it off altogether so this six-year-old she hated her mouth and I was just kind of talking to her about it and I was trying to figure out exactly what she had been asked to do uh, so that I could help her heal from it. And we got into the most bizarre conversation about her doing drugs, pot, gummies. Ah, here we go. Do you realize how much traffickers and ritualistic abusers love the fact that pot nowadays is in every candy form that you can imagine? It's in suckers. It's in gummies. It's everywhere. And all you have to do is convince a little kid that this is just a sucker. This is just a gummy bear. Now, she wanted to please her sister. She wanted her older sister to love her and to think that she was so cool. So even after she ate the first gummy and did not like how she felt, she still would go to her sister and ask for gummies because she wanted to be cool like her sister and she wanted her sister to like her. Yes, peer pressure is a real thing and they use it. This is the emotional abuse that they tie in with the drugs. This is how we get the brain changes. Emotional abuse plus drugs equals brainwashing. Okay, so those are the external components, but how does that actually work? What happens is we have what are called neural pathways. We have thousands of neural pathways. These are like a, we'll, we'll say like a stream, okay? So you have these streams in your brain. 
And these streams are fluid, but the longer the water runs in the same pathway, the deeper the pathway becomes. This is how the Grand Canyon was formed, is that there was a river and the river just kept running the same pathway over and over and over again. And all of a sudden you've got this huge canyon crevasse, right? Deep, deep, steep on both sides, goes down forever. This is how our neural pathways are created. So you have a message. That message is the water. And that message goes from point A to point B. Now, if that message keeps going from point A to point B, we have a neural pathway. The longer it goes from point A to point B, the stronger the neural pathway, the stronger the message. If you want to lie, our brains actually kick those lies out. I have explained in my practice that I don't believe in positive reinforcement uh, no, sorry, positive affirmations. I do believe in positive reinforcement. Sorry. I do not believe in positive affirmations because we lie and our brains kick it out. So if I look in the mirror and I say, oh, I am six foot one and I am, uh, I've got long blonde hair and I am drop dead gorgeous. My brain goes, uh, lie. Okay. But if I'm high and I'm looking in the mirror and I have somebody on the side of me and they're going, oh my word, you are drop dead gorgeous. And I'm high and I'm going, I am? Oh, you think so? And they say it again. Oh my word, you are drop dead gorgeous. I am? Oh my word, you are drop dead gorgeous. Guess what starts happening? That neural pathway starts telling me I'm drop dead gorgeous. Now, why did I stop with drop, start with drop dead gorgeous? Because that's the least of the untruths. Now, I'm not saying I'm hideous. I'm not Quasimodo, but I know for a fact I am not drop dead gorgeous. That is not, that has never been who I am. I am cute and pretty. That's it. So if you wanted to sit there and tell me that I'm cute and I'm pretty, I will believe you. If you want to tell me I'm drop dead gorgeous, I look at you and say, no, unless I'm high and you keep repeating it over and over and over again, and I build that neural pathway. Now, why that one? Because that's the easiest one for your brain to accept. Once it's accepted the easy one, then it goes down to the less easy one. Did you know that you could have long blonde hair? All you have to do is, do you see? And then pretty soon, I've got all these ideas that are not actually based in reality, but I firmly believe them. This is how the biology of that works. Now, why is that important? Because if we use neural pathways to brainwash we use the neural pathways, we use the drugs, we use all of those aspects that I've been talking about in order to brainwash, in order for the mind control to actually happen, then that is exactly how we stop it. We just have to make new neural pathways. <laughs> that might sound a lot more difficult than it actually is. Because research 
has been showing that two of the best environments to stop trauma messages are the ocean and the mountains because of how peaceful and how serene they are. So if I have a very, very damaged brain from mind control, from brainwashing, I don't want to use more drugs and I don't want to do more mind control. I don't want to keep repeating the same thing over and over again in that tone with those drugs. That's just different mind control. That isn't helping them get healthy. What I want to do is I want to put them in an environment and use words they're not used to hearing so that they can create new neural pathways around the mind control pathways. That's how we break it. I had a client once who was coming from ritualistic abuse, human trafficking. She had been abused the, starting the day that she was born. The abuse had been so horrific that when she started seeing me, she was in her 20s, and her body was failing her. She was dying. Um, She had been hurt so badly internally that surgery was not fixing what her issues were. And she came into my office incredibly skeptical because she'd seen therapists before. Now, here's the interesting thing. What her parents had done to her was that they had used therapy jargon in the mind control ritualistic abuse so that when, and they had done this to all of the siblings, so that when they went in to see a therapist and the therapist started using their jargon, They were actually reinforcing the mind control that their parents had been doing. It was quite devious um, and very smart, very time consuming also. I, you know, I do not like these people at all, but their commitment level was crazy uh, because there were six kids And they did this to all six of them, but they did it different to all six of them so that none of the siblings could rely on each other in order to get out of it. Or they couldn't show up and say, I have the same experience that you have. So they couldn't rely on each other. They couldn't support each other. They couldn't corroborate with each other. Uh, That is one of the things that we do when we are interviewing trafficked victims is we get a lot of the same stories. Uh, It's coming from the same place. It's doing the same thing. Well, they were so devious that they made sure that each one of their kids had a different story, that it came from a different place and that their mind control was done in a used differently with every single one of them. This is how horrible 
these traffickers actually were. Um, so this young woman, she comes into my office and she immediately starts in on what she thinks she's supposed to be saying to me. And I just kind of looked at her and I, I said, you know, I, I get what you're trying to do, but that's not what your real issue is. And she just stopped and she's like, no, no, I have this problem. And I said, no, you don't. I can talk just like you and I don't have that problem. I mean, if, if you want to play that you have that problem, you are doing that very well. But that is not your actual problem. And she had to stop and look at me because nobody had ever told her that that wasn't her actual problem. And then I proceeded to tell her, you know, I, I'm sorry, but you've been abused. And she's like, what? And I said, well, it's in your talk. It's how you speak. Uh, it's in your actions. It's how you're sitting there. It's how you're looking at me. You know, I, I can tell that you've been abused. So if you would like my help with that, I am more than willing to help you with it. And she's like, I don't believe you. I said, okay, that's fine. Um, that's your choice. So she didn't set up another appointment with me. She left, uh, but her boyfriend had set up an appointment with me. So it was like four days later and her boyfriend showed up for his appointment with her. She was near comatose. I mean, she could not walk. She could not, her eyes could not open. She looked like she was dying and he was dragging her into my office. And, and he said, she needs this more than I do. I'm looking at her going, yeah, you're right. She does. And she sits down on my couch and she looks at me and she says, I think I've been abused. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. And she proceeded to start throwing up. And then she passed out on my couch for 20 minutes. That is how bad just that suggestion was in her mind because of how bad her ritualistic mind control abuse had actually been. Now, when she came to, uh, I'm like, well, that's a first. I haven't seen that reaction. Uh, made sure that I had barf bags in my office from then on. Uh, but she looked at me and she said, I want to know the worst thing that's ever been done to me. And I told her, I will not tell you that. I will not tell you that. And she looked at me, I need to know. And I said, no, you do not. This right here is bad enough. So you deal with this. And whatever comes out from behind this, I will help you deal with. But there is a thing where our minds will protect us. So if the memory is so bad that we cannot handle it, our minds will put it in a place that it does not want us to access it. And if we go and access it, then our minds basically say, you know what? 
I tried to keep it from you. You didn't want me to, so it's out and you never get to put it back again. I won't do that to a client. That's just cruel. So if I know what the worst thing is that's ever happened to them and they don't, I won't tell them. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because the traffickers use that. They're actually in the process of trying to find ways to fracture minds in order to do better mind control that we honestly cannot fix, that we cannot stop. They came across it quite accidentally when certain sexually abused and trafficked victims started developing what was called multiple personality disorder, what is now called dissociative identity disorder. Yes, I have worked with clients who have DID. And what I have noticed is that as time goes on, the abusers are actually doing stuff to make sure that they stay in that dissociative state so that they cannot stop from having their mind not in one uh, unit. Now, it's a very, very awful form of mind control and torture. And I think that it is extremely important for those of us who are studying DID and the effects of mind control on trafficked victims that we catch up with these um, terrorists (laughs) that are hurting these people because if we don't catch up to what they're trying to do, then they're going to figure out how to fracture these minds in a million different pieces. And I don't know how we'll ever catch up to that. If I have a client who is in the process of their mind being fractured, I can stop it. I can pull it back. I know how to do that. But if I have a million different pieces, I don't know how to put that back together. So we need to look at what they are trying to do and how they are trying to use this to their advantage. And we need to put safeguards in place so that we can stop it as soon as we see it happening. Uh, But in order for that to happen, (laughs) we're going to have to have more people who have been trafficked and who have had to endure mind control come and be willing to work with us, not be willing to be tortured more and not be willing to give in and have more mind control, but be willing to look at how their mind is fractured and see if they can help us figure out how to stop it from fracturing anymore. I don't know that that will happen because these people especially the ones who have that fracture. They are so ashamed and embarrassed and they feel like nobody will take them seriously. So they don't want to come and ask for help. That is a tragedy. 
they need people that they can trust. Now, there are becoming more and more people that they can trust in the anti-trafficking arena where we are understanding what these people are doing to you and we want to help you in any way that we can, either stop it or reverse it or do whatever we can to help you live a more normal life. But here is where they are making it worse. And you're going, Mandy, this all sounds bad to me. I know it sounds bad to you. But they are putting in this sexual abuse with it. So they are manipulating our hormones in order to increase the mind control, the emotional abuse, the mind fracturing they are adding that one more element because they can. They are vile. That is the most heinous act. And they have no problems doing it. They are going to make sure that every single one of these trafficked victims thinks that they are not a real person that anything they feel is wrong and bad, and that they have zero control over their own selves. I cannot think of a worse crime. There isn't one. That is as bad as it gets. So why am I explaining it to you in this way? Because I told you kind of towards the beginning of this, that if we call it what it is, then we can actually work on it. So if we call it distorting reality, if we call it abusing bodies, if we call it um, making it untruthful, your life, your hormones, your bodies, your ideas, your opinions, your emotions, they are making them untruthful. They are distorting the full reality of your identity, which means that we can change that by bringing truth to your identity, by bringing truth back to your thoughts, your opinions, your emotions, your individuality. That is how we can help you heal. So those of us who are in this field and who are studying this and who are looking at all the sides of this, please understand that this is what we have to start doing is we have to start giving them back the truth of who they really are, who their bodies are, who their thoughts are, who their emotions are, and help them see the truth for what it is. Because that is the way that we can stop this horrible, heinous, torturous, ritualistic abuse. <laughs>